Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais in Ontario, Canada, with episode number 72 of The Yacking Show, where we talk about life, business, and more, and we bring you tips and ideas for the changing world we're living in. And every day this year, it's changing again. As always, we have interesting guests in our lineup, and today is no exception. I'll be handing over to Kathleen in a moment to introduce our guest. But before I do, a quick favor. If you like our show, please subscribe to it so you don't miss the next episode with another interesting guest, which will be coming up in a few days' time. Enough from me. Kathleen, how are you doing in Waterloo today? (laughs) Hello, Peter. Doing well, thank you so much. A little bit gloomy here today, but... um... Nonetheless, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in a great mood today because we have a wonderful guest. And first of all, thank you all so very much for tuning into our show. We so appreciate you and we love reading your comments. So do please keep them coming. And if anyone out there is interested in becoming a guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. And as Peter mentioned, we have a very interesting lady with us today. Her name is Amy Bovaird. Amy, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing great today. (laughs) So for our audience, Amy is an inspirational speaker. She's an author, a blogger, and a coach. She was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa at the age of 28, which resulted in, in blindness. Amy, you call yourself the low vision motivator with high expectations. For our audience, would you please tell our audience a little more about your background and um, how you help people that are going through blindness? Yeah. So first of all, just to explain, blindness is a continuum from legally blind to completely blind. So there's a whole uh, realm of different sight uh, in that, that gap there. So when we say blindness, it's, it just encompasses a lot. Mm-hmm. So um, I call myself the low vision motivator with high expectations because uh, sometimes society doesn't understand that big long continuum and they think that it's like a, a light switch on and off. And mm-hmm. so you were either blind or sighted. And I did too. I thought that before I start, started to uh, lose more and more vision. But the thing is that we have to change people's and ourselves impressions of blindness to, and we have to challenge ourselves to do more and to show people that we are capable of much higher doing many more things than they think that we are capable and that we think we are capable of doing. So when I speak to people, I just want them to uh, empower themselves. And so that's why I say I'm the low vision motivator because I have some vision. I'm partially sighted. Um, I'm legally blind, but I want, I want us to try and do everything that we can and not limit ourselves. Mm -hmm. So uh, I challenge people to go get out of their comfort zone and do and, and um, just live their life and be, be happy, be comfortable. And see how rich it can be how full so that's it so tell our 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 listeners a little bit more about your background and before before the onset of blindness what did you do yeah so I was uh 
really, I was a teacher. Um, I taught overseas. I loved, I, I was, of my family, I'm the quietest one. But I love culture. I love trying new foods. I love meeting new people and uh, learning uh, about different lifestyles and language. So I was kind of drawn, even as a child, to uh, other cultures. I had a um, Japanese aunt and I had a, a um, Russian aunt. And so this was kind of fed that also, that interest. And when I, uh, I was in my third year of college, for some reason, even though I was so quiet, I went away to school which of course is my interest in other, in traveling. And I got, I fell in love with this major of linguistics and it, it encompassed dialect and language and teaching. And it, it was in 1982, so it was a rather new, um, linguistics wasn't new, but teaching English as a foreign language was new. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, this is my ticket. I can go, I can teach overseas. And so I, this, I was, I felt like, kind of like a, a stray button in, in my family. And so I went overseas and my, my family sewed me back on, <laughs> like to, the, to a garment, if you want to look at it that way. And then I, can, I will come back and then I will go back overseas to another country and come back and go back to another country. So I was the, my family was the stability and I was the one going out and having the high adventure. So yeah, um, the third year between the second uh, I left Central America and I got uh, a wonderful job in Indonesia. But between those two two jobs, um, when one job finished and the other one began, I went, I traveled in Ecuador and I noticed that in the jungle, I had a lot of trouble seeing. I was like, uh, people were like, what's wrong with her? What's up with her? And uh, I went back thinking I'm going to get stronger glasses and then go back, then go to my new job in Indonesia. Mm -hmm. But it didn't really work out that way. That's when I found out I had this, uh, this incurable disease, can, eye condition, called retinitis pigmentosa. And I wasn't really expecting it. I, I just, my mind was on, I mean, in packing for Indonesia, I'm going to this far away exotic where there's so, I don't even know where it is exactly. And I was just kind of stopped in my in my footsteps. I was like, what do I do? Oh my gosh. And my mother wanted me just to stay home, just to let that job go. And I was just like frozen. I didn't know what to do because the doctor had told me, he was such a kind man. He told me, you're, gonna, you're going to go blind. We don't know when, we don't know how, but you're gonna go blind. That's what we, that's what we're certain. And so it was such a far cry from when I was, ex I was thinking I just needed to get new glasses. Mm. Um, it, I, really what he told me was that because I, when I lived overseas, I didn't have regular eye exams. So I missed a lot of the things that could have told me I had this. Mm -hmm. With RP, this is the short name for it. It's like one of the, um, one of the symptoms or, is that you have trouble seeing at night because your vision begins to constrict and to narrow. And so you don't get all that light. And that's what was happening with me. It's probably been happening for like the last 10 years, but I just, I just didn't pay attention. I was just living and exciting and going, and I didn't really notice all that much. Pay attention to like when I'm stumbling or whatever. 
you know, until the jungle. Right. So uh, I had a decision to make. Um, I only had three weeks until my, my job started in Indonesia. So for the first two weeks, I just sat in my room and went through this extreme depression or like freeze. I, I didn't leave anywhere. I, I think I called everyone I knew <laughs> and I told them I was going to go blind. And it's like, what do you say to that? You know, so then the last resort was God. I, I, I said, I don't know why it's always that way, but when I exhausted my other um, resources, I like, what do I do, God? And he answered me, really. Um, there was a scripture when I was reading the Bible, and I just happened to open up in um, Genesis. And I was, uh, it said, Abram, go to a land that you do not know. I will guide you. And I will make you a father of many nations, and I will bless you. And I thought, oh my gosh, he can do that for Abr Abram, who became Abraham, then mm -hmm. he can do that for me. He can take care of me. So that was the beginning of my choosing to live my life, despite my fears. Oh my yeah. God. So did you go to Indonesia then? I did. I did. You did. Well done. And yes. while, while you're talking about your, your travels, you also spent time in the Middle East, I believe. I did. Yes. Wow. That was teaching as well? Yes. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, how did you get, you were teaching people who couldn't speak English how to speak English. So did you learn their languages quite quickly? Well, most of our, the language I taught was in English in the classroom. So mm -hmm. that was no problem. But I did learn different languages. I learned Japanese. I learned um, Portuguese. I learned, well, I knew Spanish already. Um, basic Egyptian uh, or Arabic, I mean. And then, and I learned Bahasa Indonesia, which is Indonesian. Wow. It's like wow. modern Malay. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Uh, we, we made contact through a mutual acquaintance called Chuck Bartok. He was the one who suggested we ask you to come on our show. So uh, have you been working with Chuck for your books? I have been. Yeah. He's yes. like an authorpreneur or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah, he's very supportive and kind of showing me how to market it better. And yeah, I really like him. He's just so oh, kind. Fabulous. Fabulous. Yeah. Guy. We both we both love him. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful guy. Yeah. And we've yeah. had him on the show earlier on. And and uh, we have several other authors that uh, came under Chuck's wing that uh, we've been talking to as well. So and yeah. one, of, one of our early ones was Nancy Lou Henderson, who... Um, mm -hmm. I've been following her since she first started started writing her first book and releasing mm -hmm. it on, on her blog. So that I've been talking too much. That's enough for me. Back to you, <laughs> Kathleen. So Amy, let's delve into the books that you've written so far. Okay. So let's start with mm -hmm. Mobility Matters. Yeah. How did you come to, to write it and, and who is it for exactly? Okay. It was a kind of a, a um, I didn't, purposely write it at first I wanted to write about my travels and uh, but it did in my travels they weren't coming up <laughs> it was like they um it kept being steered in another direction when I had my orientation and mobility training when I really came to face my vision loss for about 20 years I was kind of in denial I just let whatever happened happen and I didn't really face it but when I came back home in 2006 I was really my site was really bad and I had to do something about it because I was starting two new jobs, teaching jobs, local ones. I had this wonderful mobility instructor who at first I, 
I just like, oh my gosh, I, how do I get away from this guy? And, but he, he was completely 100% blind and he kept calling me on the phone because I had a caseworker and she said, you, you really need to learn more about orientation and mobility, getting around. And he said, how about if I just come to your house and show you some canes? And I said, oh. I was really against this white cane thing. I, I just I thought it's going to limit me. It's going to take away my independence. And I was, uh, he did come to my house and I didn't know in the beginning, he was completely blind. I just was uh, totally against anything with a white cane. He came to my house and I'm like, oh, this, this man is blind. He's blind. He didn't tell me. Oh my gosh. So I went around taking up all the, all the carpets and everything. And so he wouldn't fall. And I was guiding him. And I was, oh my gosh. But, um, and, and then he wanted me to, 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 uh, go in my neighborhood with the white cane. He wanted to try it out in front of my mom. All these people, it was like so public. And he said, why don't you just tell people you're blind? Like, not blind. And anyway, the whole thing is, little by little, he demonstrated how I could be empowered by using my white cane mm -hmm. and how I could regain my independence. And it was like almost kind of like being in a foreign country. Like I, I became a little bit like a mouse, like a little bit more and more curious because he would do things. He would like talk to my neighbors and I'm like, how did, how can he see them? And he would, he would tell me that I have to be proactive and put out my hand, like to shake people's hands because otherwise I can't see their hands. And I would, I was like absorbing all these things. And then, I wanted to please him like a teacher, you know, and we just seemed to fit together as a student and a teacher by the end of that year. Like I had kept it a secret, even for my students. I couldn't tell them. I was just too embarrassed. I folded up my cane and put it in my filing cabinet. I was telling the whole um, high school, uh, uh, what do you call it? Like the chapel about blindness and how I um how there are so many different phases of it and and how we have to be proactive and I was showing them my braille that I was learning and it was just such a wonderful thing and it all came about because of my completely blind mobility instructor so that's the story of my book I, I couldn't wow. get away from it and uh I felt that when I joined support groups online they always struggled with a white cane just like me and they felt that it limited them, that people, you know, uh, think thought they couldn't do things. And so I thought, I'm going to share how empowered I felt. And maybe I will motivate them and encourage them. So the, the audience for that are people who have had sight loss for quite a while and are at a crossroads and need mm -hmm. to have a white cane and need kind of push and encouragement. And it's also... Christians who have any kind of challenge and they need to see somebody overcoming. And um, it is just for people who, who want to uh, kind of go through a good feel good story, you know, like, like, so we have this problem and little by little I become empowered and curious and adventurous and excited. So Very that's good. what it's about. Wow. And then you, then you wrote your second book and that was a much lighter one. That was Cain Confessions. And that's where you brought more lightness to the whole topic. So that was a little different. Tell us the background and how you did that one. 
Yeah, because as in the beginning, when the first one I was keep, I had kept it a secret for so long that it was really a deep faith book. The second one, I had sort of become more open about my sight loss. And I thought about what I did overseas so that I can continue to stay overseas and what kinds of things, how did I adapt? And so most of these stories that I had were humorous. And, and um, they, like for example, when I f went to my first uh, writer's conference, my gosh, all these things went wrong that I went to, that they had a meal and I didn't see, I turned on the spigot to get uh, iced tea and I didn't see that you have to turn it off. And so the water was going, the iced tea was going everywhere and they had a, <laughs> a little tea brigade and they put that down and they're like, they gave me a piece of pecan pie. And I'm like, it was just this whole thing about the, like a uh, Niagara Falls, you know? And it just seemed, the humor struck me more and more. And of how, uh, one time I got the wrong size code, it was like totally dwarfed, dwarfing me. How could I even mistake it for my code? <laughs> and, you know, um, I, I climbed mountains and I used like um, people sometimes to light my way, like their flashlights. You know, I followed mm -hmm. people with bright colored clothing. And I don't know, just different stories of how uh, I just, uh, whatever I did, I, I seemed to see the humor side of it. And whenever I had a problem and I could see that uh, these weird um, conversations went through my head, you know? So I thought maybe that would encourage people, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, allow them to go, follow their dreams. Right. Very good. And then you wrote, seeking solace because you yeah. uh you've dealt with a lot of loss in your life and i know that on your website you briefly mentioned the loss of your twins perhaps if if you're comfortable with sharing that and and yeah. tell us how you, your book would help somebody um find joy after loss mm -hmm. well when i lived in the united arab emirates i had lost uh two twins a, a set of twins and uh I was in the hospital for six weeks, and so this it was really major. Uh, you know, I, was, I didn't even know I wanted to be a mom until I was pregnant, and then I uh, had another miscarriage, and and then a little while later, my marriage kind of fell apart, and then this is probably over a period of ten years, and the, the last in two thousand six, my father, who was the anchor of our family, so well loved. He got, uh, he was diagnosed with stage four cancer mm. and I had lived in the Emirates for so long. I had to, I mean, I couldn't just co I, come home. I, I needed to, to, to like um, sell my things. I needed to like finish up there and I didn't know if I was going to be able to see him. So all these things, I, I, I thought about them. My mother, my mother passed away. Um, in 2016, which is when I wrote the book. And I was just devastated when she, because I was really close with my mom. And um, I wasn't, I wasn't there when she had a stroke. So uh, I didn't do anything for like two months. And I, I was trying to think, how did God work in my life that helped me to get through these other losses? Because I know 
we build on things. When we trust that God does things in our lives, that we, we see what he's done and we, we have more faith. So I looked at all of these losses and I wrote like 15 devotionals for each one to see in that situation um, how God ministered to me. And uh, it actually helped me um, with my mother's passing. It helped me uh, see that God was really in the, in the picture all the way through. Mm -hmm. And it, it helped me get past the, the depression and the guilt that for not being there and all of these things. Uh, and I think how we can help other people, I tell them exactly what I went through and I show how he ministered to me it, it didn't, like it's you can um pain and fear and all of those things can exist with god it's not like i feel ex i'm totally trusting and or i'm totally not it's like god partners with you that's what i found out when i wrote that devotional book that god partners with you and you can get through each day you know, and so I think the people that read this will see how he, uh, how God um, comforted me. Some even miracles, you know, uh, different different things, and uh, gave me comfort in really hard situations. And I think that they can extend it to their own lives and see how God has uh, fit in the puzzle there and how He has supported them. And um, then that anchor, when they, they don't really even see it, some, some people get angry at God, but God draws us to him mm -hmm. and he partners with us. And I think that's how they can find joy. Very good. Wow. <clears throat> and then you wrote a follow-up ebook to that book as well, didn't you? <clears throat> or is that the devotionals? Uh, oh, yes. Oh, that, there is a book. It's a beautiful little book called... Um, a time to dance and uh, it, this is about the twins and it was maybe 10 or 15 years later and you know I, I, I never really did have any children because of any children that lived so uh, I don't know one Valentine's Day my niece invited me to her house and this story just it just shows how God continuously comforts us when we don't even know that he's there and he it's a beautiful story so I think that will encourage other people who have gone through loss and at different stages of that loss when they don't even know that they need encouragement. Right. right. So Amy, loss of vision is so traumatic. What first step advice would you have for someone going through vision loss? Yeah, it is very traumatic. Mm -hmm. Usually sometimes it's gradual for me. And the trauma is like, um, like st staggered. <laughs> uh, but I have met me, many people who have lost their vision um, all at once. Mm -hmm. and, and that is extremely traumatic. Mm -hmm. So uh, what I say is tell somebody, you know, tell, like share your feelings with somebody. It wasn't until I really told people that, I started to do something about it. You know, a lot of people just uh, um, let their fears, they just be, they're quiet about it. Um, and they, they don't use a, a white cane. So I think start small. You know, there's a website 
the American Printing House for the Blind, Vision Aware, and we have put together, uh, it's a, a, a site that I volunteer for, right? And we have, we have several peer advisors and we put together first steps and what, you know, is like, um, what next? I'm blind, what next? And I think that they have so many wonderful suggestions there. And so that's an online source. It's really good. And the other one is just talking, communicating with your family, see, starting to see my vision counselor. I call her that. She was really just a counselor um, at the Bureau of Blindness. But she started me to think about telling people. And I, I remember telling her how uncomfortable I was. And she's like, well, just tell them. Just like my, my, my uh, orientation and mobility instructor. So I think when you start to talk about it, when there's a dialogue, people begin to understand and you're not alone and you have, you find resources and you step by step move forward. But the first thing is to share it or to tell people your fears because otherwise you just hold them inside, you know? That's right. Amy, sorry, what was that uh, resource you just mentioned? The American? Vision Aware. It's the American Printing House for the Blind, APH. APH. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the Vision Aware is one of their resources on there, on that okay. website. No, that's great. We'll put some links on the video for those as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah. how can people get your books? They can get it through Amazon. Amazon? Um, yeah. It's in regular and large print. It's in Audible, audio, audio in audible.com. Okay. Amazon, iTunes. I have it in audio on my website, which is amybovere.com. And okay. I have it large print, regular print. I have bundles, uh, like uh, the three, the first three books uh, that people can get. Uh, my Seeking Solace, um, Mobility Matters, and Kane Confessions. So I have okay. them on sale now. Um, and I just put up the, the two very small ones, um, about one about hitting a home run that's in audio on my website. Okay. It's a real short one and it's about my diagnosis, but using the metaphor of baseball, All right. <laughs> for baseball lovers. And, um, and then I have a time to dance in audio on my website as well. Okay. No, that's great. I'll put all those links on so people can get hold of it as well. Yeah. That, <clears throat> that's quite amazing. You are quite an inspiration from what you've told us. That's, Thank you. Really interesting to hear. Of a very quick one, we got a little bit of time left. Of the three different parts of the world that you travel, that was Central America, I gather, uh, Middle East, including Egypt, and then the, the Far East or further than the Far East, uh, Indonesia area, uh, all different in temperature, climate, people. Where, what was your favorite? What was the most uh, that you meant the most to you? <sighs> yeah, I really loved the, all of them, but I loved Indonesia. I guess mm -hmm. probably because. Um, it's like 13,666 islands and each island has um, like so many cultures within that island and the Javanese and the um, Sundanese and the, you know, it's just like a smorgasbord of culture and food and uh, different lifestyle. It's just so fascinating. Yeah. Oh, and Wonderful I bet students. And the winter's a bit warmer than Pennsylvania, too. Yes, much, much warmer. Yes, palm trees. So lovely. And just yeah. uh, beautiful, beautiful people, kind, warm. Every place I've been has beautiful people. 
Yeah. Right. Wow. Well, thank you, Amy. That's back to Kathleen again. Yes, thank you so much for joining us today, Amy. You really, truly are an inspiration to so many, so thank you. And of course, thank you all so very much for joining us today. We so appreciate you and enjoy reading your comments. If anyone out there is interested in becoming a guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. And as Peter mentioned earlier, uh, we would love it if you were to subscribe to our YouTube channel, and that way you get to have... Uh, our next our, our next interview so until next time take care everyone bye bye